just love to be a part of uh, you guys and what God is doing uh, here at our church, and I just love to come here and just get caught up in the worship like we all just did. That was, that was so good, and, uh, and as we were worshiping uh, today in this service, just the the reality of, of how God works and what he's doing among us here in our church here at Eastside. Uh, three people on this stage uh, that just led us in worship, uh, 20 years old and younger, okay, between 18 and 20. And you think about that, okay? You think about some young people, what they're doing with their lives and all the things they could do, and, and three people that young we're up here leading us in worship, and if that isn't good, I don't know what good is, and, and uh, that was all good, man. Um, you had some older people up here, okay? Um, Theo's getting in a van or taking him back to the home right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, three young, I don't know where that came from, so that was just, uh, man, that was encouraging to me. Well, I want to I wanna spend a few minutes giving a, a quick recap of what we're trying to do Uh, with this teaching series and kind of set the stage a little bit um, before I teach what I want to teach about. And uh, I I just think it's that we all get on on the same page here. We all kind of know where we're at here. So we're talking about this idea, which is an absolutely fascinating concept, if you let this mess with you for a little bit. But we're talking about the idea of not going to heaven alone. Don't go alone. It, it seems our world kind of is caught up in that idea nowadays of loneliness and what it's like to live alone and how that does stuff to us. So, so the idea of going to heaven and making sure that you don't go there alone. And so here, here's the deal, that if you have connected your life to Jesus... And so people may say, Dave, what are you talking about that? If you've come to the point in your life where you have recognized that the only chance at all you have to go to heaven, the only shot you got is that Jesus paid your penalty on a cross by dying, and that's where you're putting all your hope. That's what it means to be connected to Jesus. And so if that's happened to you, and you have sealed that commitment in water baptism as the moment all of your sins forever are washed away and you are risen to a new life that seeks his glory rather than your own. So if all of that is you, here's the deal, you are heading to heaven. You're heading to heaven. But see, God doesn't want you to show up alone. And that's a really big deal to him. And so the question that we've kind of been playing with, and this is where I want us to get on the same pages, is how do you do that? And I, I really think that we're all kind of there. That those of us on the way to heaven, we want to make sure that we've brought some others along with us. The reality is, though, dude, I, I just, I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to do it. I don't even know where to begin to do that. And so the, the heartbeat of the series was that, that we would come together prior to Easter as a church here, and we would go through a step-by-step instruction on how those of us who are going to heaven can make sure that we don't show up alone. And so that's what we've been doing. 
And we started it out with what we thought was the beginning place, that this is, this is where it all happens. And we talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago, and that was the idea of something that you have to believe this. You've got to believe this if you're not going to be in heaven alone. And that is that there are some people who are lost. And there are folks in our, in our circle of influence, many of those that we may deeply love, and the reality is not everybody goes to heaven. And we live in a world today, particularly in America, where we tend to think everybody goes to heaven. You gotta go one thing, you gotta do one thing to go to heaven, and that's die. And so we believe that in our culture, but you and I have gotta believe something different, that some people are not on the way to heaven. And if that belief system doesn't get down inside of you and get grounded into your thinking and your mind, then you will never, ever worry about going to heaven alone, okay? You've got to believe this. Not everybody's going to be there. Last week, we moved to another step, and that was something that you have to do. So when you believe this, then this is what you got to start doing, and that is that you have to live your life with such a winsomeness and a light and a positive shine inside of you that other people would say, I don't know what's going on with you, but I want that. You've gotta live that as an example. And, and you might remember how we worded it. Lost people become saved people. When saved people show lost people how beautiful life is when you're saved. And so last week we talked about the example and the importance of that. Now, when you come in here next weekend as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we get ready for Easter, we're going to talk about this last one, and that is there's something you have to say, that if people are going to go to heaven with you, you got to have a message, you got to have words to say to them. And I think a lot of people get caught up right in there is because, man, I just don't know what to say to them. And if you're here next weekend, we're going to help you with that. We're gonna teach you what actually to say so that you don't go to heaven alone. Now, that's kind of the structure of what we've been talking about. And when we lined this out, this whole series, when we started thinking through it all the way back last summer, one of the things that I felt really strong about was that I, I just had a sense that I, just, I felt really strong about this, that the third message is gonna be the heartbeat of it that the third part of this process is probably the most important. And here's, here's what, what I mean by that, is that you can take care of these three, but if you don't do this one, then, then none of that's gonna happen. And what we're gonna talk about in this message is something that you gotta feel in your bones. It's gotta be something that, that governs you emotionally so much that you will do whatever you have to do, whatever it takes, so that somebody goes to heaven with you. And I wanna make, I wanna make the proposal that you can do the other three. You can have those taken care of. You can believe that there's gonna be lost people in the world, there's some of those are in your circle. You can be the greatest example you can be of what Jesus is like in a person's life. You can have all the right words to say. But if this isn't down in the innards of who you are, you'll never, ever take anybody to heaven with you. It's gotta eat you. It's gotta bother you. 
It's got to consume the insides of who you are so that it would compel you that I will do whatever I got to do so that I don't go to heaven alone. Now, that's kind of the framework of what we wanted to try to get everybody on the same page in this study because I'm going to introduce in our study this weekend a place in the Bible where a particular guy figured that out where he really did come to that feeling, that emotional drive inside of him, that thing that ate his innards to the point where he would do these things. And he was an apostle. We talk a lot about him. His name is Paul. And Paul has a a place in his writings in the New Testament where he's writing to some of his Christian friends. They lived in a city called Corinth. And if you're not familiar with the Bible... There are a couple places in the Bible where the people in Corinth actually received a letter from the Apostle Paul. And so we call in our Bibles the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter to the Corinthians. And in one of those letters, when the Apostle Paul wrote to those in Corinthians, he described this emotion in him. He described what it was like to live this way where he would do whatever he had to do not to go to heaven alone. And we're gonna dive into that in a study and I want you to kind of know my hope for the message and, and I, I, I just don't know how to communicate sometimes what I'm, what I'm sensing and the things that I write. I don't know how to do it with the intensity of which I'm, I'm trying to get across but my hope for the message is that what he felt and what was going on in him, my hope is, is that that would happen to you. That before you walk out of this room, that that will transform what you feel and what's going on inside of your guts. My my prayer is that between somehow me trying to teach it and you trying to listen to it, the Holy Spirit would come in and mesh all that together so that you would leave with a changed emotional heart, that you will walk out of here like Paul did. Now, with that in mind, I want to read for you this section where he described it. And I want you to know, when I first read it, if you're, if you're not familiar with this, some of you are, and that's great. You've got it memorized in the original language and everything. But, but if you've never heard this, when I read it, you might think, and this is okay, I don't know what in the world all that is about. But hang in, we're going to try to make some sense of it. So it's in the ninth chapter of his first letter to his friends here. And uh, I'm going to start in the 23rd verse And I'm going to read it. We'll have it up here on the screen so that you can follow along with me. In the 19th verse of chapter 9, he said, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, just take a quick break and notice that I have the word win in in italics and and strong yellow for you you remember that. We're going to come back to that. So, so he writes on, and he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself not under the law, so as to win those not under the law. He says this, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. And then he goes on, so as to win those 
not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, what in the world does all that mean? Well, let me try to make some general sense of it. One of the things that I love to experience as a pastor, and, and we've got a, a few folks in our church that uh, you've been ingrained in the life of our church for many, many years, and we've got some uh, members of our staff in here, and you guys, you guys will know this when I say this, is one of the joys of a pastor is to be, see, to be able to see a person before they come to Jesus and then see them after they come to Jesus and after things kind of get cleaned up a little bit and see the transformation of life. That's one of the greatest joys that we get when we see what happens to a person when, when life gets better because they came to Jesus. And so maybe it'll be a story of maybe a, a distanced and combative man uh, in the home but he comes to Jesus and learns to be a, a sensitive husband and caring father. We got a lot of stories like that right here in our church. So a man is changed and into a better life because of Jesus. And, and maybe Sunday morning for some people was a, a dark and dreary time. They can always remember Sunday morning is this horrible time trying to recover from a Saturday night hangover. But then Jesus got a part of their life and they, they changed things and life was so much better. And now Sunday morning is this bright, cheery thing where you walk into a room of people and worship God. It is a joy to watch how people's lives change and become better when Jesus gets in there. I was uh, talking with a pastor friend of mine recently. We were talking about this exact thing. He said, dude, I ran across the guy a while ago and uh, he didn't know Jesus and was starting to come to our church and uh, we kind of got to know him a little bit and we found out that um, he was big time user of marijuana. That was a big thing for him. And uh, he shared with us that he would, he would donate and sell his plasma in order to buy marijuana. And he said, my plasma money is my weed money. And he was just really open about that before he came to Christ. And then he, he came to Jesus and things got better and life became so much better for him. And he called my pastor buddy one time and he goes, hey man, things are so better with Jesus. I've made a decision. I've made a, a big decision. He goes, what'd you do? He says, well, I've decided now my plasma money is going to be the church money. So I'm going to sell my blood and I'm going to bring the money too. And, and he said, well, you know, that's kind of moving in the right direction, but maybe we need to talk about something. One of the greatest joys is to see change, to see people who find out that when Jesus comes in my life, I've got a better life than I ever, ever had before. That's a, that's a thrill for people in ministry to be able to see that. And there are folks in this room that you're an example of that. We could pick you up and say that's, that's where your life used to be and here's where your life is now. And man, it isn't even close to what it used to be. Now I bring all that up because it seems to me as I study this text, as I got down into the weeds of what Paul wrote 
And I think that's my job as a teacher, to be able to get down in there and reveal what I think really is happening in this text. What I found out is that that seems to be the heartbeat of what Paul is talking about. That when I went back and read those verses for you, the issue that Paul was talking about was this very thing. He uses a word that he borrows from the marketplace. It's a financial word. It's such a big, important word to him that when I read that text for you up on the screen, he used it five different times. And what it means is to make a purchase and get a great deal over it. In other words, you buy something that goes, I can't believe that I was able to buy that for that price. It doesn't matter, it's not important, but the word is pronounced curdino, curdino. And Paul in that text uses the word curdino five times. I got a great deal is what it means to be a curdino. If you bought a $20,000 car, and somehow you got them down to $12,000. And you buy the car on an $8,000 brick. You go out and say, man, I got a Cardino. I got a Cardino car. The, the new Drake's Restaurants is opening up down here. If they have all-you-can-eat wings for 10 bucks, that's a Cardino meal, man. Might be a heartburn, but it's a Cardino heartburn, okay? It's a good, good deal. And Paul, in the heartbeat of this text, comes back there repetitively five different times and says, the heart of the matter is that, watch, Jesus is Cardino. He's Cardino. So, so go back and look what we read again and just let me pull a part of that out in the 20th verse. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to Cardino the Jews. In other words, he's talking about people who give their life to Jesus and they find out that what ends up by having Jesus in their life, it is so much better. It's not even comparable to what life was without Jesus. Life in him is Cardino. And Paul comes back to that over and over and over again. He's emphasizing what happens when people let Jesus be a part of their life. Life with Jesus is Cardino five times. Now, now some of you who are Bible people might be thinking, man, that sounds what he said, sounds just like what he said to some other friends one time. Because many of you know that he wrote other letters to friends of his, and one of those groups of friends lived in a city called Philippi. And so when he wrote them the letter, that's in your Bible too, it's the letter to the Philippians in Philippi. And what Paul did is he talked about his Cardino life to those in Philippi. And if you're familiar with it, there's a section where he says, let me tell you what my life was like before Jesus and he said, life really before Jesus was pretty doggone good. It really was. I had a, a lot of good things. I was a Jewish guy, and I'd risen high in the Jewish ranks. Man, I came from a great family, and I had a great schooling, and I served the Lord. I served God. I had things really going good. But then I met Jesus. And what I got in Jesus 
was so far beyond anything I ever had before. And he just kind of broke out in the Philippians text and explained that. Let, let me show you real quick how he described it. Check this out. He said, whatever was, he's talking about life before Christ, whatever was to my prophet, whatever was going good, I now consider loss. I consider it nothing for the sake of Christ. Read on how he says this. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. He goes on and describes this idea that he has given everything that he has to Jesus. Notice how he ends it. I consider them, all those things of the past, rubbish. That's a word that refers to the garbage pile. I refer it to the garbage pile that I may gain Christ. Watch this. That I may cardino Christ. So the heartbeat of what Paul is saying, and I want this to get serious with you because we're going we're to make some application here to a minute, is that Paul is coming from the framework that if someone knows Jesus, and Jesus gets into their life and they live for him, their life is so much better. You can't even compare to what it was. Not only life on this earth, but life in heaven, which you will have. That is the heartbeat of what Paul brings about. And then he says this, watch. It comes down to the idea of describing it this way that Jesus is a better deal than any deal you will ever get. He's a better deal than anything in all of life. And if you believe this, and everybody come with me right now because this is the, this is the center of the teaching from 1 Corinthians 9. If you believe this, if you don't have any doubt at all about that as a follower of Jesus right now, that the best life you could ever have is to be connected with Christ. If you believe that, you will do absolutely whatever you have to do for other people to hear about that. See, if you don't believe this, and this is just kind of, you know, that's religious, goofy stuff for, you know, insane kind of fanatic people. That's really not your deal. Then here's, here's the thing. You won't talk to anybody about it. But if it's down here and it's in your guts, then you can't help but to tell other people what they're missing in Jesus. And that's what Paul said in this text. He said, I will do whatever I have to do for Cardino, whatever. I had that kind of come to life to me recently. And I'm going through kind of a weird moment in my life right now, kind of a, a season. Um, anybody do spring clean, cleaning in your homes? I, I hear about spring cleaning. It seems like we're cleaning all the time, but spring cleaning. And um, I'm, I'm in a bit of a spring cleaning mode right now. This spring, I will have been a pastor for 43 years. Started when I was uh, four. And so been doing that for a long time. 
And one of my mentors early on, I still look at him when he talks about this, was he encouraged me to be a man of incredible detail and organization. And that was a big deal of how he mentored me. And so if you've ever worked with me and I drive you crazy about that stuff, it all came from him. And so this idea where I went into it with detail and organization. And so one of the ways I did that was by recording and keeping almost everything that I ever did, everything. And so in my office, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of file folders that contain every sermon I have ever written in four decades, every article that I thought was interesting, I copied it and put it in, every single counseling appointment with every person I've ever counseled and my notes, they're all recorded in these file folders. And I've been sensing the need to kind of purge that for a while but I just kept putting it off. I didn't want to face the reality that I'm getting that point in my life and most of that stuff I don't need anymore. And so I just, I just kept saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so apparently God got tired of me putting it off. And so he broke a water pipe in my office on Christmas Day and flooded the joint. So I'd have to do something about it. I don't know if that's the way it happened, but that's my story. I think it's his fault. And so I made the decision to to do this. And so I started it um, a little bit after the first year, and I've been spring cleaning with my life's work. And I thought, how do I do that? What do I, how do I decide, okay, that's going, um, being discarded, and we're going to keep this. How am I going to do that? So I made a decision. I said, I'm going I'm to draw a line in the sand. I call it my east side chapter of life. When I came to east side Christian church in 2005, and so I made a decision East side on, I'm gonna keep all that stuff. Uh, Pre-east side, it's all getting discarded. And so I've been doing that since uh, the first year. And there have just been a very few exceptions where I thought, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and keep that. That means enough to me. And one of the things I kept, had a fi- it was a file folder, and on the top, it had this on the folder. I'd forgotten I even had it. Wedding ring. And so I opened it up, and it was the receipt for the ring that I bought my wife 3,000 years ago when we got engaged. And I didn't even remember I had that. And that was in all that stuff, and I said, I'm going to keep this. And I looked at the receipt, and I'm reading through, you know, what I paid for it, where we bought it and everything, and it had in there how much money I, I put down on the ring, and I don't, I don't even know where I got that money. I might have stole it, I don't know, but I... I came up with this money and put it down, and I, I needed $1,000 more, and so I borrowed it on the, on the revolving credit of that, uh, of that account, and all the details were there. Now, this was in the uh, early 80s, and if you know much about the financial world, things were kind of tough, and so I borrowed $1,000 on the balance of that ring, and the interest on that $1,000 was 27.5%. I paid 27.5% interest on a ring, watch this, because I believed my wife was Cardino. Do you see? When Cardino's out there, you will do whatever you have to do, whatever. Nothing will stop you. Nothing can stop you. I shared with Susan, I found that, and Tony paid 27.5%. She said, would you do that today? 
And uh, knowing what I know today, uh, I'd probably try to rearrange the loan somehow, but I would do whatever it takes. Why? Because I've learned my wife is Cardino, right? And that is the heartbeat of 1 Corinthians 9. And now the light bulb's starting to come on in here. I can sense that. We kind of went through the detail of this text and and once you muddy your way through it, then you're starting to see. And so Paul says, because he's Cardino, there is nothing that I won't do to help you find him. Nothing. And it's easy to read that in chapter nine towards the end of that text and just kind of move on and think that's pretty cool. But here's, I, I wish we were in a classroom setting where we can take a little break and come back and then I can really get into the nuts and bolts of this thing because if we backed up just a little bit from chapter nine, we found out that Paul told us before this the extent of whatever he would do. And he described it. Back in chapter eight, he started talking about the fact that, that people are kind of debating and aren't real sure about whether you can eat meat, this special meat that they had in the marketplace, and can Christians eat it? Could it have been used in other religious ceremonies? And so can Christians eat that? And some Christians, yeah, they can eat it. And some Christians said, no, you can't eat it. And, and Paul brought that up because you all know what I'm talking about. And everybody in Corinth said, oh, yeah, we know what we're talking about. I mean, we're divided. We're arguing about it all the time. And here's what Paul said. He said, well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. So if I'm trying to lead someone to Jesus, because I know Jesus is Cardino, and I'm going to do anything it has to happen for you to, to meet Jesus and to know him, when I hook up with you, if you think it's okay to eat that meat and you want to eat that meat, here's what Paul said, we're going to eat the meat. And he said, but if I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach this person over there, and I know that person over there thinks, man, you ought not touch that meat. Stay away from that meat. Paul says, here's the deal. We ain't eating that meat. Whatever it takes, I ain't gonna let the meat prevent you from seeing Cardino. So let's put, a, let's put a kind of an interesting modern day twist to it. Let's say that I'm doing everything I can, whatever it takes, because you're my friend and I want you to go to heaven with me and I want you to know about Cardino Jesus and we're gonna get together and I find out that you think White Castle sliders are the greatest thing this side of heaven, but I think they're disgusting. You know where we're gonna meet? I'm eating sliders. Why? Because whatever it takes. You see? And let's say that for me, I think the most casual, comfortable time to be able to break into a conversation about Jesus is just chilling out one morning and sitting around a little table at Starbucks and having a $24 cup of coffee. I just think that's about as good as it can get. But I hear you get sick at the smell of coffee. Guess what? We ain't going to Starbucks. Why? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Why would you have that spirit about you? Because Jesus is Cardino, that's why. And so at the end of chapter eight, Paul then brought up another example. He took the ninth chapter early on and he told the Corinthians as a way of reminder. Now y'all know in the Old Testament, God said that when people serve him, 
They need to be paid for that. And he was talking about the priests of the Old Testament. So you got priests and you got people who serve me. And God said, yeah, the, the people of God need to pay their people who do that. So 1 Corinthians 9 basically says you need to pay me. Okay, it's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Okay, it's just there. And Paul says that. But then he says this. Now, if you get bent out of shape about that, and you, you don't think that's right. And Paul says, you don't think I ought to be receiving money for serving God. If you think that, and I'm trying to get you to see Cardino Jesus, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, then I will just sacrifice the pay. Don't pay me, whatever it takes. Now, just so you know, modern day preachers have failed to rise to the spiritual maturity of the Apostle Paul, okay? Do you see what Paul's doing? Whatever it takes, that's the heartbeat of his explanation, that you and I feel that so deep inside of us, so deep, that we can't not help you get to heaven. We just can't do that. Why? Because how can we not let you know about Cardino? Donald lives in this area. I don't think any of you know Donald. I've known Donald for a long, long time. He's in his 70s now. Um, he spent his life raising a great family. Um, he ran a, a profitable business. He's very comfortable. He's, he built an incredible positive reputation. I don't know anybody that doesn't like Donald, man. He just, he's, he's done a great job. He volunteered for his community his whole life. And now he's in his 70s. He's earned the season now to relax. He's earned it. And, and he ought to be able to wake up in the morning and instead of putting on a tie, put on a t-shirt. He's earned that time in his life. Instead of going to the office, you know, cruise over to McDonald's, hang out with your old codger buddies and complain about property taxes. You know, you've, you've earned that. Go work on your golf game, hang out with your grandkids. And uh, nobody would ever fault Donald for any of that. And he probably does some of those things, but he just can't get the Cardino of Jesus out of his guts. He just can't. And said it's doing all that stuff. He went to a local high school and he convinced the, the administration of this high school to let him and I'm just gonna be blunt about it, and I don't need to be offensive at all, to let an old white guy come into a school that is, that is heavily multiracial and mentor young men who are in the middle of tough situations. That's what he's doing. Last month, he was spending time with a young man who was shot in the arm by his grandmother. How bad does a home have to be for a grandma to take her gun and shoot her grandson? And why on earth would Donald want that kind of headache every day? Because he knows Jesus is Cardino and he will do whatever it takes for other people to know it. That's what gets into our guts. That's what I dream to possess us here at Eastside. That's what I want us to be known for, gang, as a church. 
Not just people who know to worship. Not just people who are friendly. Not just people who know the word of God and thrive on what it teaches, but I'm talking about a family of people where it is down in us so much because we know what Jesus does for us that when we walk out of here, we will do whatever we have to do so that other people will go to heaven with us someday. That's what I'm talking about as us being that kind of a church. And so for you, how would that work and what would it look like? Is it, is it egging a house in your neighborhood, huh? And putting a little bag on their doorpost because just maybe if they come out and see that on their handle of their front door, that, that they're gonna come to East, is that, that could be it. Man, I just gotta do that in my neighborhood. Is it going on a mission trip to Arizona or Haiti to teach little Bible stories, little children who might never be told these things? Is that, is that what it would be for you? Is it giving an evening to talk with people in jail about forgiveness and new life that they can't find anywhere else but Cardino? Is, is that what it looks like to you? Is it making a commitment as a family that church life is just as important as school life, it's just as important as sports life, so your kids have a foundation to live on when they leave your house? You see, all of us have opportunities and all of us have stories, but they all start the same way. It is down so deep that Jesus is the best deal that you can ever get at anything in life. It is in there so grounded that I will do anything it takes so that others will see him like I have. Has that happened to you? Do you feel that? Has that happened yet? And you can do all the other steps we're telling you about, but until that gets down in there, you will probably go to heaven alone. I, uh, I was thinking about this, this last week and just kind of you know, mulling over the thought, what would that look like if if I live that way, and what would that look like if our church lived that way? And just kind of dreaming and thinking how all that could come to play. And uh, I'm gonna try to relive for you something that I experienced um, yesterday morning. And I'm just gonna sit down here and tell you about it. And... Um, because I feel comfortable doing it this way, okay? And some of y'all say, now you're just old and tired, and you're partly right on that. So I'm gonna try to relive something for you here. And I'm thinking, as, as this event happened yesterday, about I'm, I'm in that mode, okay, God, what would that look like if we were really that kind of a church? I mean, whatever it takes. I don't care what it takes. And so I've mentioned this to you many times. Um, for those of us who work here, uh, we gather in the morning together, uh, Monday through Thursday, we all get together, and um, we make sure that we pray before we start our day. And during this period of the season, our shepherding pastor, uh, John Talbot, leads that for us. And he shared with us that as we're getting closer to Easter, he wanted to lead us as a, as a staff team 
into the reading of the life story of Jesus. And so we're going to read, uh, right now we're reading through the Gospel of John. And we're going to read through it before we get to Easter. And so we gather there together and John just reads a chapter. And we sit and listen like we've never heard it before. So yesterday morning he is reading John chapter 17. And John 17 is what is happening to Jesus the night before he was executed. So he's in a garden and they're going to arrest him in a few hours and he knows everything's going to happen. He knows he has less than 18 hours left on this earth. And, and so John 17 is about that and uh, what happens in that chapter is Jesus is in the garden he starts to he starts to pray. I will tell you, this is hard for me. So he's, he's praying, and he knows what's happening. He knows he has less than 18 hours to live. He not only knows he has less than 18 hours, he knows how he will die. And he starts to pray. And the purpose of this is not to go through his prayer other than to highlight the last thing he prayed for. And he prayed for you. He prayed for the people who would believe in him until he returned. He, he prayed for the people sitting in a, in a seat right now at Eastside Christian Church. Now, I hope that gets down and just messes with your socks a little bit. So you got 18 hours to live, and you start praying. You can pray for anybody other than you. So he starts praying for us. And I want you to hear what he prays. What are all the things that he could have mentioned? And he said this in John chapter 17, verse 23, and we'll have it on the screen. He says, may they, who's they? Right here. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. So here, here's the Hastings blunt way of saying it. If you and I can get along, the world will be drawn to that which causes us to get along, and that's Cardino. Just get along. Now, my brother John is reading that, and I've known that. And I got up when we were done and I went back um, into where I was working that day. And I married it to 1 Corinthians 9. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for people to go to heaven with me. So, if we get along and it draws people, it seems to me that if we don't get along... It prevents people, 
Do you see where I'm going? Anybody with me? Okay, so let me, I'm going to call up my brother Nick right here. You're right in front of me. You're in the front row where Christians sit. Okay, right here. Actually, I can't see very far beyond Nick. Nick, let's say me and you ain't getting along. We're Christian brothers, and you did something or I did something, and man, we're just not together right now. And what Jesus said right before he died, that if you don't get along with me and I don't get along with you, that there are people potentially who won't go to heaven because you and I can't get along. If you've got another Christian person in your life right now that you are sideways with, you need to hear that. And so I go to 1 Corinthians 9, it says, whatever it takes. I said, dude, I don't know what's between me and you, but I'm gonna fix it. Because what's going on between me and you is not as important as other people making their way to heaven. Is anybody with me here? Is anybody with me? That's what happens when whatever it takes gets into your soul. Now next week we're going to teach you what to say. But it don't matter until you feel it. Father, I thank you that your word is more real than anything we ever read or hear. And I, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to sort through that. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Amen.